Cloney Cast Podcast. Check it out. Turtles all day, turtles all night. All day and all night. All right, we, we figured we tried a little bit of a different intro there, but uh, in all seriousness, we're back. Uh, this is our sixth episode. Uh, we're really excited for tonight. This is going to be an awesome discussion. Um, this is a guest that obviously kind of when we started first thinking about who we'd have on and, and what we'd talk about, uh, this was someone that came to mind right off the bat. Um, just the amount of stuff that this person has done is pretty incredible and sort of the range of places uh, and, and countries that he's traveled to and, and the amount of information that he has is is really, um, it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and so we're really honored uh, to talk to uh, Carl Franklin tonight. Um, so yeah, without further ado, welcome, Carl. Uh, we're excited to have you. Howdy, boys. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Um, so, you know, immediately the kind of the first question we seem to have for everyone is why turtles? I feel like it's a little bit, we always get asked that, but you know, it's a great way to just, we're strange people, all of us for our interests. And we're just always curious what got you into this? I don't think it's that strange. I think it's, uh, I think it's probably, if you think about it, it shouldn't be strange. The way I see it is it's at least a healthy thing that I enjoy. You know, there's maybe perchance not everything I like is the most healthy, but there ain't nothing wrong with turtles. And I think that's something that transcends with, with a lot of people. So uh, I think you guys, man, just go with the go with the mantra that what you're doing is ahead of the curve. I like that. No. Turtles are some of the great turtles have done some of the best things for me in my life so far and <laughs> plenty more to go. Well, so tell me, what are you guys wanting to talk about tonight regarding turtles? <laughs> Let's get it going. I mean, we're, we're sort of all over the board. Um, we, you know, we, I think holistically, it's kind of interesting. The group we've got here spans kind of a lot of different areas of interest. Um, you know, Ken is sort of into the genetic aspect of things and salamanders, but I think is all sort of over the board reptile wise. Uh, I'm sort of just interested in every aspect of turtles from molecular level all the way up to sort of the organismal level. And Jason's sort of even taking that anthropology direction and Jack's kind of all over the board ecology wise too. Um, but, you know, one of the first things I, I remember at least is in discussions we've had at Symposia in the past is some of your adventures in Central America and South America. Uh, so that's kind of, I guess, an interesting starting point. And just some of the highlights from that work because it's interesting sort of information wise, but, but also sort of the adventure wise is pretty crazy. Some of the stuff that you've seen down there. Well, it's something that, uh, uh, you know, you go looking for one thing and then you might happen to come across another. But uh, uh, definitely, man, I tell you what, it, it uh, going out in the places and locations where you can find uh, wildlife diversity that you're looking for because uh, you're curious about it and everything and be able to just completely immerse yourself in that as, is just wonderful. And so I've been very, very fortunate in life to have been able to work in places that allowed me to go do that type of stuff. Uh, so 
that's that's one thing, and I think you guys can all agree that anytime you're stepping out into a new wild area or whatnot, uh, there's still that magic moment that can happen that we all love. So, but yeah, as far as uh, uh, interesting things and stories, you know, there's a saying about our business, you probably ain't going to get rich doing it, but you'll have better stories than most rich guys. So that, uh, where do we want to start at? I mean, I've done, I've had some, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you this. So I started going down to Honduras. Uh, I was about 25 when I started doing that. I didn't speak a lick of Spanish. And I went down one, one year with my wife and she's native speaker Spanish. Anyway, collected specimens and so forth, did this and that. Came back like a few other times down there. And each time, of course, my Spanish got better and I was on my own. But uh, that was uh, a real valuable uh, time for me to be able to understand how to go out and execute a project in the field and then carry through with all the formalities and so forth. But in that and uh, with regards to an anthropology angle of it, uh, I was spending lots of time with indigenous, uh, the Mosquito Indians of Honduras. And so we had a lot of good times out in the field, a lot of interesting times. One day we went, we were out all day and we were tired. So we found a little uh, abandoned area where some folks had set up a couple of shelters. And uh, we decided to take a nap. And we laid down and we wondered why wasn't there anybody here? It looked great. After about 30 minutes, I think we found out why. We were completely covered in fleas. And so the fleas were eating us alive. <laughs> so we had to get on that place. But uh, no, with regards to turtles in that location, it's a really cool spot for them because uh, you find Chinosternum leucostoma and you also find Chinosternum scorpioides. So that's the, uh, the, the, the yellow, gosh, yellow throated mud turtle, I believe, and the uh, scorpion mud turtle. You find them together. And you find them out in uh, ponds and uh, creeks and even in the river. Most of the, the turtles that most of the kind of stern in the river have, that I've seen were leucostoma. And we've gone up into creeks at night in these big 30-foot uh, hand-carved 400-pound wooden canoes that were just poling up these streams and stuff in the, in the jungle. And it's all lowland rainforest out there. And so we're doing that and working lots of lights down in the water and then diving and collecting specimens. But it was just crawling with kind of starting just everywhere. And we're talking 12, 15 foot deep. And they were just all out at nighttime. Uh, there was lots of other stuff out at night as well. Uh, and so plenty of herps, uh, mammals. Jaguar tape here, but uh, it is a good spot for turtles. Had uh, some pretty interesting times in the Amazon. And so that uh, now the Honduras stuff isn't really a place where tourists are going to go. It's it's a it's not a traveler, maybe vacation or friendly place, but Peru is and the Amazon of Ecuador is as well. And you can find a lot of cool turtles out there. So. That's a little bit of uh, uh, Central America and touching on South America turtling. 
uh, I did a lot of collecting in Venezuela. And uh, one of my colleagues out there, he had collected a, a couple of Zulia toad heads. And so uh, for you guys, anybody that doesn't know, this is a, a turtle that's endemic to Venezuela from Lake Maracaibo and that region. So Peter Pritchard described that, I believe, in 1986 or 84. And uh, uh, it's, it's a one-of-a-kind animal. And we were able to get a male and a female back to the United States. We got the permits and everything for that. Uh, and subsequently bred them a couple of times. And there was also a fellow down in Venezuela that bred a pair that he maintained. And outside of that, that's the only two uh, occurrences of captive breeding of that species. So uh, I've been able to be a part of you know, some things like that. I guess that's kind of cool. And uh, it was neat for me watching it happen and stuff. And of course, the one of the things that's interesting with that species is they seem to have a way of communicating with one another uh, through their ritualistic courtship and the way the head bobbing and stuff and the whole fucking Bronco rodeo show of, uh, uh, of, of courtship uh, ensues. So that is a cool one. Well, uh, Lots of other incidental, you know, occurrences with turtles. I tell you what, I was with a buddy of mine. Excuse me. I was with a buddy of mine in Peru, and uh, we went down to a village, and uh, we're talking to Yanunami Indians, and they had uh, uh, the chief. I asked him if he had any turtles. He said, sure. I said, can I see him? And he goes, no. I said, can I have them? He said, no. I said, why not? I want those turtles. He said, if I give you these turtles, then what am I going to have for my soup? And I said, well, you want some cigarettes? He said, no. I said, you want some aspirin? He said, no. Fish hooks, baseball caps? Nah. And I said, hey, you like pretty women, don't you? And he said, yeah. I said, well, have you ever seen these pictures of these gals from Northern Peru, maybe Mexico, the United States, the movie stars and stuff. And they, they got the pretty paint on their eyes and their lips and all that. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, I got a whole bag of that right here. And my buddy had brought a whole giant thing, consignment of Avon uh, cosmetic samples. And so he spoke Spanish, and so we were talking, and then he stopped in Spanish, and he just said something that I think sounded like, and all these kids come running back with turtles tied to strings, and I gave them the cosmetics, and I got all the turtles. That's awesome. You never know it's going to work for a, a, a trade there. That's well, that sounds like something. I just, uh, you know, the ladies there are not without their charm, but uh, it is a tough life. So, say that. God. So, anyhow, that's, that's been that. Uh, there's, like I said, there's been a lot of little sort of uh, uh, vignettes of turtle activity. And uh, one cool thing that stands out, though, is back in 2012, I was collecting uh, amphibians and reptiles. And, Oaxaca, Mexico, and uh, I stopped at the National 
Turtle Center there in Mazunte. And Martha Harfush is a wonderful lady who works that facility and studies the sea turtles out there. And so we had a great time. And then she said, hey, guess what? The Arribada is happening tonight. So I was like, oh, yeah, it's on like Donkey Kong. And we went down there, and the media and the government and everybody was leaving because they had been there for two weeks and no turtles. And right as they were leaving, in come the waves, in come the olive ridleys. So uh, got to see that. Got to see uh, olive ridleys nesting, eggs plopping out, you know, the whole thing. That was really, really cool. I enjoyed that. Have any of you guys gotten to see any sea turtles do their thing? Actually, it was two years ago. It was the summer of 2020. I was with uh, we was with Michael, and we were in, well, we were in, we were on the Atlantic coast of Florida, and we got to see some loggerheads nesting. We probably saw, I think, three or four of them, and some were coming out of the ocean. We were actually near some as the eggs were coming out, so that that was really cool. And that that was, I haven't seen sea turtles since then, but that was that was one of the most amazing experiences I had. I'm, I'm glad I got to do it. You know, I want to do more. Uh, leatherbacks are something that I really want to see. I've never seen a live leatherback. I've seen, uh, and I've never seen a live uh, flat uh, sea turtle from Australia. Never seen one of those live. But uh, all the others I've seen alive. But, uh, man, I want to see a leatherback. So there's that. And we'll see. Let's see which one of us wins. And who and sees a yeah. who gets to it first? Competition. Who can get the Dermot Kelly's first? Dermot so what else? How else may I serve you? Well, I I've got an interesting sea turtle story. I guess um, a lot of not a lot of people know, but sea turtles actually do go up into rivers uh, pretty in oh. in certain circumstances. And I've got a population near nearby me in California that will actually go pretty far up significantly up the the river um and it's 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 estuary and so it's brackish water but uh they go they'll actually go into where it merges with fresh water and people have found them so where it is i guess i can explain kind of what goes on it's 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 tidally influenced for a few miles and there's plenty of room for them there and there have been some research that shows that they kind of hunker down in there and and kind of go on the sides and they rest in there to uh kind of deal with the temperature fluctuations in the actual Pacific Ocean. But where the river, maybe two miles up the river, it meets, it's essentially just on a concrete wash now, uh, such as the case with most Southern California rivers. And it, it runs in about two feet uh, it, on that concrete wash where it's mostly fresh water. And the sea turtles will actually go up onto the concrete wash and they swim at least a mile down people have found them in this ditch essentially in the middle of Los Angeles. And you've got green sea turtles that are just in there. I've, I've gone down, I've seen them. They congregate in there. I've seen about 15 and they're constantly just moving in and out. You can literally, you can go right up to them and, and you could touch them. Not that you're going to do that and you shouldn't do that, but it's pretty interesting. Sea turtles are really kind of fascinating. Well, that's, that's crazy that they're going up those, those concrete uh, channels like that. That's, that's, wild that they would do that yeah it's it's do it you know i mean uh at some point why wouldn't they just turn around <laughs> yeah they get stuck too because there's sort of there's some riprap so when people put the rocks in between right. where the the concrete channel is and then where the estuary the estuary starts in the brackish section 
and uh, they'll get stuck on the backside of it when the tide goes out. So there are actually people that will go in there and help them over. And supposedly some people will come at midnight for the ones that get stuck and wrap them in blankets and they, they take them. I, uh, I've heard that. I'm not sure I believe that because I don't think a lot of people know about it, but it's certainly an interesting population. Jack was down here in, in uh, late yeah. October and I had known they were in this river, but I didn't know they congregated like they do at where the, uh, where the estuary or the, where the brackish section meets the freshwater section. And about a week after he came down yep. here, I found that and got some videos of it. And yeah, it's, really? uh, it's pretty interesting. There's been a, some research. Um, I, I think there was Dan Lawson with uh, Noah had done some work there and they, but they, they don't really know why they go in there. There's some PowerPoints or not PowerPoints, power plants. And they have, they think it's sort of their thermal effluent. And so they're seeking the heat. Uh, but we don't really know for sure. It could just be that they kind of make their way in there. Maybe they're just dumb turtles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's uh, they're certainly good at sort of a lot of things. But in terms of the brain power, that's somewhat questionable. People I wasn't leatherback brain. I wasn't believing you really like fully because I like you told me about that for a long time. And you, you, you took me to the river. And I mean. Uh, it looked like there was just concrete on either side. The other side had like a troop of hobos walking around with their shopping carts and things. And you're like, I promise you there's sea turtles in here. And I, 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 I guess that makes sense. Man, that'd be awesome if you guys did outreach education with the hobos. And then you did that. Yeah. You have a video of you guys doing sea turtle outreach. That would be dangerous. Hobos, you know. Then, and you have yeah, a captive we, audience and everything. <laughs> you got to be careful in california you'll get uh some people can be pretty aggressive but yeah that could be interesting i don't know <laughs> um yeah you sent me that it was a week later you sent me those videos i was like holy crap there was like a dozen of them in this little channel i never oh. would have expected that it's ridiculous i uh I so most of them most of them there are so, so they've also done some telemetry work in there and tracking them to see if they stay. And the ones that are in there are in there pretty consistently. So they do seem to be seeking it out. That was the other kind of part of that. But uh, the majority of them are large juveniles and small adults. So there are some pretty large adults in there, but they, in those tracking studies, the majority of the turtles they were finding in there were larger juveniles, but there are some adults. So... But we're not talking any 300 pounders in there, right? No, I mean, it's kind of hard to gauge, but the largest one I've seen is maybe four feet and, and it could have been 200 plus pounds. I, I mean, it's somewhat tough to gauge, but there, there are a few adults I've seen in there, but it's majority of them are smaller. I'll tell you what, man, they're jerks in the water. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I got let me walk that statement back a little bit. <laughs> they're not the they're not the friendliest in their aquarium, put it that way. Uh, because when I was in Oaxaca, the other thing at the center, my friend said, "Hey, Carl, you want to go swimming with these sea turtles?" And I was like, "In the uh, exhibits?" And she goes, "Yeah, sure." So I put on a mask. I didn't have any fins or anything, and I had my camera with me, and I just went down into the. I'm talking like the exhibit. The public was on the other side of the glass. 
And I just go down in there. And the first ones I did were uh, hawks bills. And they just came right at me to eat me. It was all I could do to keep the hawks bills away and then jump up out of the out of the exhibit and get out. The uh, the greens and the, the Ridleys were a lot more chill. And uh, I could kind of swim around them, you know, and they, they just sort of stayed over there. But the hawks bills were these these dinosaur parrots that are trying to eat me because I'm there. So don't jump in an aquarium full of hawksbill sea turtles without being alert. If there's anything I can pass on to you young men tonight, it's that advice. <laughs> Watch out for yeah, the hawksbills. The strength of sea turtles cannot be underestimated. There's, um, I think, Michael, we've, we've all seen cases where you know, people have been like slapped by like leatherback or another turtle and they had to get stitches. There's horrible lacerations. <laughs> no way. I don't want to be cut by a turtle <laughs> Lamaze. If people don't realize too, but their their limbs are similar to kind of elongated what you'd expect in a human, just kind of elongate. They've got the same sort of phalanges and and uh I guess carpals. I guess that would be the bones in the in the hands. And uh it's similar. So, but they've just got our sort of bone structure just elongated and a lot more power behind it. So you're getting slapped by something that's very similar <laughs> to us, but a lot more kind of power coming from it. So they can do some damage. Hawksbills, though, that makes sense. They do. I like the dinosaur parrot analogy. Oh, that's that is very <laughs> well, they come right at me and I put my foot up and I got my foot on his kind of right in the middle of his plastron and just pushed him back in the water. And he went back about five or six feet. And then he just takes both those flippers and just went like that. And he was right in my face. And I had to get him off me. And I, and I actually stuck the camera right in his mouth while I pushed him away. But uh, uh, yeah, so uh, spare diving with the hawksbills in an aquarium. But if you get the chance to swim in the aquarium, do not offend them by number. I, I, I say swim in aquariums whenever you can. That's uh, that would be a fun experience. I have not gotten the chance. I got to get my scuba certification. Is that? I don't know if anyone else is. Yeah, actually, isn't that uh, is that kind of difficult? Because I've always I've wondered. I've wanted to do that. Like. I know Carl would probably know it. I, I don't know. Are you have you scuba? I haven't I haven't done that yet. I haven't been that smart with my water stuff. I uh, do a lot of snorkeling, but I haven't done the scuba yet. I was thinking about doing a vacation to Hawaii, and they've got these underwater motor scooters that you cruise around the uh, the reef with and look at turtles, and you've got this big diver bell and stuff on you. But uh, other than that, honestly, I haven't looked into any scuba stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole different world. I feel like it's very handy. I mean, there's places where uh, doing diving in fresh water for turtles. There's a lot of spots where if you wanted to sample the turtles there, uh, having scuba would be really key to it. Uh, it'd be kind of cool to just be able to crawl along the bottom 
of some of these rivers in Texas that have lots of eelgrass and wild rice and everything, and just without having to go up to take a breath and stuff, come down and be able to focus and just go through all that vegetation to try to see what uh, diversity is there. And, uh, and, and Michael, I know you've, you've been to the Comal River, and so you know how there's a layer of moss that covers uh, a lot of the bottom layer. I just think, gosh, even a place like that, it's scuba. Just go through and just do a systematic grid search. Uh, I bet you'd really clean house on finding turtles that way. I'd like to say in some of the Florida springs that I've been to, uh, there's some some of them are amazing. And I mean, you have to come up for air every once in a while. But if that like was removed and you could essentially put all of your focus into just prowling the bottom. And I mean, I've seen some I've seen and I've I've found some amazing things in Florida rivers and springs. But if you had more time to properly comb the bottom and you could probably clean house with catching. catching yeah, to explain what that is. Yeah, I'll explain what this is. So this is a this is a mastodon tooth. I snorkeled it up in the Santa Fe River in Florida. Huh. Well, that's not that's not too bad of a spot. I mean, it's a well-known place for fossils. So, yeah, this this is a uh, like one of the prizes of my collection. That's cool, man. Yeah, that was that was a quite amazing thing to find when I'm snorkeling. I saw it on the bottom, and I had really researched fossils because I known I, I had known how plentiful they were in that area, like the late Pleistocene. Uh, like limestone and everything. So I saw that sitting on the bottom and instantly knew what it was. But I bet like I have to, when you're going down the river, you have to constantly come up for air. Then you go back down and you're missing a lot of it. And uh, it's your focus is kind of impaired. So I think a lot of scuba gear is ex like expensive, but if you could really, I think that would be a really like valuable investment. Yeah. A lot of me just get scuba gear and, you know, then you don't have to go to college. Just go scuba. <laughs> Be on the bottom of the river forever. I don't know if that's good advice. <laughs> Be a fossil hunter for a career. Hey, in Florida, do you, you guys have to get a little permit technically to do your fossil collecting, right? Yeah. Uh, I, there's a lot well, of I think it's cool that they got that. Yeah, I, I have the... Uh, I have to make sure, like, it's not from state parks or anything like that and make sure that it's from... Uh, because when, when things are from, like, I think if it's from, like, a public property or if it's not within the bounds of a state park, there's not the same limitations on it. But if, say, you were to take that from the middle of a state park, that, then that would have some legal right, issues right, right there. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Florida's That's pretty right. stringent about it. They know, the, they, they know the value of the fossils down there, so. Hey, so how many turtle pieces do you find? Uh, like, I haven't found any. Uh, I've found, like, I haven't found fossil turtle bones, but I found plenty of I've, I've like snorkeled up bones that aren't fossils. But uh, yeah, I know I know a couple guys that have found uh, tons of, of slider and cooter plates and bones, and uh, I mean some of them have even found pieces that look like they came from Macrochilles or uh, maybe even the Hesper Testuda. Like you find lots of really cool uh, turtle remains down there, and they're actually a lot of times they're glossed over because most fossil hunters are looking for something like that. They're looking for a mastodon. Right. Mammoth remains. They're looking for the megafaunal mammals, and that's what I heard about the uh, paleontologists at the Waco, Texas, month site. They're so keen on finding mammoth parts that they would pick up pieces. Ah, just turtle. Yeah, toss it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I've, I've seen the Hesper Testudo 
sections that have covered rivers and stuff and uh really cool impressive oh, that you yeah. can go out there and find that i mean here in texas you can find uh remnants of dinosaur tracks fairly abundantly uh throughout a lot of the central parts of the state but uh yeah you guys have that that whole plasticine ice age fauna that you can pick up pieces of out in rivers and creeks so rock on with that yeah i uh one of the coolest things this was put this in quick one of the coolest things at pritchard's uh collection he had this it was this old plastic tub and all of these huge bones in it like uh and there was there was the remains of what was once almost a complete carapace of a hesper testudo that uh it was just donated to him because someone was snorkeling in one of the springs like this was like it had to be decades ago and uh they just gave it to him so i'm like can you imagine how insane that must have been to find just these and they were like two inches thick these are these are bones of like a, a tortoise that was hundreds of pounds like that's just amazing so on texas turtles facebook so i put a post up there of a section of bridge that i had of uh has up to the shell an empty shell of a of a uh aldabran tortoise that weighed around 500 pounds when it was alive and it was of the exact same or very close proportion. So, like, if you ever go to Texas Turtles Facebook, if you didn't know, we've got this Facebook group out there called oh, Texas right. Turtles. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but if you go there and you search Hesper Testudo, one of the things that should come up is that photograph showing the side-by-side -side, uh, alignment of that uh, portion of the bridge. Uh, so they were definitely some big, giant tortoises uh there at one time and talk about well they about, were here all about diving too kind of an interesting fossil tortoise diving connection would be the bahamian tortoises they've found a bunch of uh actually pretty well preserved because of the oxygen is so low at the bottom that the the whole specimen is preserved and they're not even a lot of those are a few thousand years old max so it's pretty interesting. That's one. Who, who was that started doing that in the Bahamas? Was that Offenberg or who was that? Richard Friends at the Florida Museum does a lot of it, but I Offenberg has certainly done work like that. But uh, now it, there's kind of a team. I think it's mostly kind of centered out of the Florida Museum of Natural History, and they they go down there and they've named. They're starting to name subspecies of fossil tortoises, which I think might be. That seems a little bit, I guess, maybe tough to quantify based on. Well, let me ask you this. Are these paleontologists that are naming coming up with the subspecific status of these fossils? Yeah, to the best of okay. my knowledge, that's kind of how they. You got to watch those guys because uh, that that discipline right there, I mean, I, I, there, there is enough to make you wonder because uh, uh, even with dinosaurs, there's been plenty of instances where the diversity of dinosaurs that were originally discovered at one spot became reduced wherever they understood that they had uh, uh, variations of young and male and female and old and so forth. So it's interesting that, that there would be one general spot like that. And you're saying that these subspecies are from the Bahamas? Yeah, they're... The one species, Kelenoides albariorum, is the one. I think it was the first one they named. I could be wrong, but now they're, they've are they hinted at the fact that there could be at least five or six varieties from 
like Turks and Caicos has multiple other kind of, I guess, uh, there was one uh, from Banks. What was that? Well, how about this? How about, I don't know, I think it'd be kind of cooler if they were all, uh, you know, individual species, like what had happened to some of the other island tortoises, you know. But uh, no, nah, I was just curious about that. Still cool. Yeah, I don't know how you make a subspecies designation based off of fragmentary material. It seems kind of yeah. like a shot in the dark. What I what, what I remember on this topic is uh, there was a there's a lot of like undescribed fossil material from other Caribbean islands too that's attributed to ancient like Kelanoidus tortoises, and some of them have been named like the Cuban tortoise. Uh, I think it's Kelanoidus cubensis, and, uh, and most of them seem to have been full species. I but I don't remember. Uh, it must have been more recent, whatever they're doing, classifying subspecies and stuff now. But yeah, the grounds that that's is kind of questionable sometimes. Yeah, some of the they the Albariorum was the one, and they were kind of hesitant to even name other species. But then I was this was all from the most recent checklist they came out with in I think November. There were they named a few, I forget that the, there are two of them at least that were subspecies of Albariorum. So it's kind of interesting. I guess maybe they. They, there was certainly some diversity they recognized and maybe naming them subspecies rather than species was kind of their conservative approach to the taxonomy. But I think it's just all around. Like you said, paleontology is pretty difficult in terms you're working with very limited data and trying to make inferences in, in terms of kind of ecological scenarios. You have no idea what it was like at the time. With the ecology, you do have an idea because the turtles aren't the only fossils that you dig up or find. Uh, here in Texas, we've got uh, a local project, the Arlington Archosaur site. And uh, that's a spot where they've been finding some hadrosaurs and they've been finding uh, the woodbine sucus crocodile. There's also been a, a, a new species of banid turtle, which these were some really weird, crazy turtles with big, giant grapefruit size and shaped heads. Uh, but then also the, uh, I believe the oldest known ancestor for the, the Sidenex was recently uh, discovered and described from out here. And one of the things about this spot in the Cretaceous that they're able to uh, find as far as the ecology is there's instances of predation from the crocodiles onto other animals here, including some of the fish and dinosaurs and uh, the turtles, of course. Man, I've seen some of the fossils of these turtles where the crocs, these are big, giant, you know, huge crocodiles, and they smash one of the turtles, and, it, and you've got plastron up inside where the carapace is supposed to be, and carapace twisted around in parts where the plastron is supposed to be from the trauma of that. Uh, that was kind of cool. But they found, they've been studying that, and the other part that they discovered were uh, the roots of trees. And then they also even found evidence of uh, from carbon of a uh, forest fire that had occurred there. So there's a lot of clues that people can dig up regarding the ecology of things in the past. Um, because they all just useless nerds like us that like picking up these things because your curiosity makes you wonder. But uh, yeah, so I gotta say, I think it's really cool. Hats off to you guys doing the stuff that y'all do and uh uh being able to do it at and then at your at your at your ripe young ages uh all that every one of y'all 
accomplished. Congratulations and hats off to you on that. It's encouraging to see that other people are going to be moving it along. Uh, boy, I tell you, I had to uh, really work to get into the business. We didn't have any internet or anything like that to rely on. So uh, I was able to get in by bragging about how well I could sweep and mop floors. And so, but I did. <laughs> Got my foot in the door. <laughs> Could you speak to like your earlier days, like getting into the realm of herpetology and navigating like college and the job market and stuff? Well, I was a, I was a fuck off when I got to college and uh, my grades and everything were uh, my academic position was, shall we say, less than stellar. <laughs> and uh, my wife was the opposite. And I was grateful she hooked up with me. But uh, uh, I had had a dismal uh, semester. And I thought, you know, I'm going to make a go at going back and finishing my bachelor's. And she showed me in the uh, catalog that they had a herpetology museum there at the university. I had never thought that a chance of working in herpetology would ever be possible. Uh, I remember telling my old man that I was interested in it. And he said, Man, son, that is really fascinating. You know, I was reading the paper today, and nobody's hiring one of those. <laughs> so it was like almost like I was embarrassed to tell anybody that I was that hard up for it. And so I go there to the museum, and I walk down the hall. I go down the basement, walk up to the door. It's open. I see all these specimens in jars and photos mounted on the wall and stuff. Cool animals and herps and i was i said hi and this lady came up and she slammed the door right in my face and uh i mean it was it was just like an inch from my nose an instant uh blew my hair back and so i thought well i might have caught her at a bad time <laughs> so i came back the next week the exact same thing happened slammed it in my face again and now I'm starting to get a message. They don't want me around. And uh, so I, I went back a couple of weeks later. And this time I put my foot in the door. <laughs> and it was a different lady. And uh, the woman before was a bitch. The lady that took over, her, she was wonderful. And she was working as a collections manager. And I had work study funds through uh, uh, financial aid with the college. And Jackie and I were bread, uh, breadline and less poverty. Uh, but uh, those are details you look over when you're trying to get your foot in the door, so to speak. So I got in as work study there, and uh, they couldn't get rid of me. I, I was just amazed by it. And I got to look at all these field journals of all these different people that had contributed there. And, you know, uh, uh, you guys have probably heard of this old fart, Harry Green. Uh, he was one of the guys that was we, before. Uh, we were on a Zoom call tonight, and he was one of the speakers. <laughs> well, good, yeah. So Harry, I got to. I, I, I was always enjoyed reading his field notes that were there. Uh, Dave Barker was another one that uh, he was a student there as well. And so there was like this pedigree of all these people that were in the business, you know. And it was so exciting to to find out where I could go to find these animals. 
and then knowing that there were like-minded people. So then uh, I wound up while working there for a year, also at Fort Worth Zoo Herpetarium, and they had me as part-time 30 hours a week. So I was doing both jobs. It was great. It was fun. And uh, then, a few, then about a year later, I got hired as a research technician at the Dallas Zoo Herpetarium. And uh, uh, it just took off. So it was around that time that I started traveling to Honduras as well. And the reason why I chose it, I knew a, a, a lady that had a humanitarian uh, group way out there. So I had a place to stay. And I had the, the rainforest right at the door. And uh, nobody else had done it. And that was something, too, I always wanted to kind of do is that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of shared interest and stuff. But if you do something that's kind of different on your own, you get to really enjoy it. Or if it sucks, well, you can depart and you don't lose face. But uh, uh, no, that was great. And from the zoo, I started traveling to Peru and uh, then Baja, California. And by the year 2000, I went down to an SSAR meeting in Baja, and there was a fellow that had a, uh, it was in La Paz. A fellow had a, a serpentarium out there. And we hit off really well. I had no idea this guy was uh, uh, wealthy, but he was. And the way he got his money is his grandfather was a guy that put popcorn in movie theaters. So... He loved herps and he was just completely useless and had a lot of money. So he had this wonderful serpentarium that's there. It's still there today. But we were uh, making plans on having another one in Cabo, working out the business arrangements and everything. And then uh, uh, there was this group in, back in the 60s and 70s called the Black Panthers. And uh, one of the former members of that group was a uh, uh, living there, and Abe was going to uh, hire this guy, Jimmy Laracious Presley the Third, was his name, going to hire him as the uh, guy to run the barbecue restaurant for our new Serpentarium. And I had a house right there on the main drag in Cabo, and we were excited. We were think Jackie and I were thinking, "Wow, it's cool. We get to raise our son at this really neat spot in Mexico and do this cool gig." Until the bastard murdered my friend. Oh, geez. And, uh, uh, the day after we think that he murdered him, he drove his van headfirst into an oncoming bus. And so the uh, Mexican authorities knew from the FBI that this guy was, uh, you know, because they, they uh, uh, when Abe went missing, they went looking for this guy. And they contacted the states and the FBI said, we've been after him since 1979 for uh, uh, murder or rape and murder. And so he wasn't a good guy. I didn't like him. I did not like the guy. And there was a period where Abe told me that uh, we might have to share a roof with this fella. And I said, nah. And he said, uh, man, Carl, I didn't, I didn't expect you to be a racist. And I said, Dude, there's nothing about that. It's I don't like this yeah. guy. So there you go. Stick with your gut. You know they never found my friend's remains. Uh, so I'm not surprised. I think the guy. You know, there's a lot of ocean out there. But uh, uh, so that was something that was a uh, kind of a setback. And just before that, 
I had gotten too big for my britches at the Dallas Zoo, and I told the boys one day, fuck this, I quit. So I got up and left. <laughs> I quit. And uh, I had been doing a lot of outreach presentations and and generally doing all right, making uh, for a long time uh, as much or more than I was at the zoo. And then a little thing called 9-11 happened. And it just devastated the business. Uh, shortly after that, and all throughout this time, I was still going and traveling and collecting museum specimens and uh, just spending lots of time in the field, uh, either in Mexico, the southwestern United States, down in the, the southeastern states, all the way to the tip of Florida and, and so forth, going into Oklahoma and Tennessee a lot. And, of course, all throughout Texas and then making it down to Honduras when I could. But uh, uh, I had to make more of a living. And I've always been a fan of herpeticulture. So I didn't like the way that the show promoter that was doing the shows up here in the DFW area, I didn't care for that. And I thought, well, I want to try something different and have a different style and product. So uh, I put on the first ever all captive bred uh, expos here in uh, uh, Texas and uh, did pretty well at them. Uh, did that for a few years. And then I wound up getting hired at uh, UT Arlington to run the collection there. So I didn't want to be perceived by anybody that I was going to another country to conduct scientific uh, collecting or anything as anything but that. So I quit the, uh, the herpeticulture uh, part of the profession and uh, just stuck with the strict sciences of it. But uh, no, I think it's uh, a lot of uh, stuff that people do with some of these animals in captivity is, is warranted and it's, uh, a lot of it's neat. Uh, there is a lot of excess, in my opinion, but... Uh, We'll see what happens. I mean, they got this new legislation they're talking about coming down the line. What yeah. do you guys know about that? Are we talking about the Lacey Act? Right. Yeah. Uh, the white listing? Yeah. Or, well, I don't think there's even a white list made yet. So that's uh, like the proposal, right? That they're going to, that it can be, they can put stuff on it without even a public comment period theoretically at the federal U.S. Fish and Wildlife Commission. Yeah, it's just got to go through one house, you know, now. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see what that does. I don't know what that would do to uh, uh, the movement of scientific specimens, dead or alive. But uh, so we'll just have to see what happens there. Uh, but what I can tell you is happening here in Texas is that uh, turtles are abundant, most of them that we look for. Uh, there's a, a handful that are a challenge. Chicken turtles are a challenge here. Painted turtles are a challenge here. Ornate box turtles are a challenge in a lot of their old former counties. Three-toe can be. Um, I'd have to say those are the top ones that can really, really uh, flummox you if you say, I'm going to go out looking for this today. So, uh, that's, those are all species there that, uh, we really enjoyed finding, uh, one that, uh, at the Western painted turtle, belli, Christmas belli, uh, 
That one I don't think is in Texas anymore. It's been listed, uh, it was collected years ago back in the 60s. Uh, and there, those specimens are at the museum in El Paso. And we've gone to the location where they were collected from, and it's, it's so salty, the river is. And uh, you see like big giant swaths of salt crystals lining the banks and everything, and uh, no turtles. I haven't trapped there, but I just don't think that uh, there's going to be chrysomies in those spots. The other places in the Pecos River, that run by Culberson County, uh, those spots too are just like these ghost rivers. You go there and there's just like a lot of dead trees and vegetation along the uh, edge and just salt crystals. Uh, not much in the way of uh, life. So uh, that's what I have to say as far as an update on the westernmost diversity of turtles here, uh, as well as the ones that are challenging. So. Hey, I heard a rumor that you guys have trivia questions. Well, we do. We do. We typically we typically do that at the end, but uh, oh, okay. We, yeah, but uh, we're yeah. we'll we can yeah we'll get to that. Uh, but uh, yeah, at the end we typically have a showdown. So well, I'm yeah. sorry if I jumped any schedule of the show. Oh no, no, no that's all good. We should have explained. Uh, that, that's on us. I. We're, we're, gonna, we get antsy for it. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, you brought up a good point with like the legislation. Uh, it greatly impedes the movement and like collection, whether that be good or bad in some aspects of uh, scientific specimens. Like uh, that's one of my favorite parts of it is like, I mean, and not really always the live animals, but even just anything you find is getting harder and harder to, to get a hold of. And next thing you know, you, you don't know what you have is even legal or not. Like, I mean, I, I do, but it starts to become an issue. Like one of my favorite places I've ever been to was uh, the Colonial Research Institute, like Pritchard's collection. But trying to emulate that today is going to be like 10 times harder because some of the some of the items he has, you just probably couldn't get today. Or it's it's going to be so much red tape you have to go through. It's, it's going to be a nightmare compared to back then. You just you pick it up, put it in your bag and you bring it with you. Well, he got a lot of his stuff there uh, through antiquities. And the way that, that that whole type of thing works where, you know, yeah, a lot of it was collected during that time. And uh, then, of course, whatever arrangement he had or whatnot was the Ecuadorians for his Galapagos material. But uh, there was also a lot of it that was there on loan from other institutions. So if you recall, if you uh, think about the fireplace mantle there, yeah. you had all of those... Uh, Oh gosh, what were they? Uh, I think it was Samabates. Samabates, yeah, lots of Samabates. Did you say which which Samabates? That's right. Yeah, all those Samabates shells that he had there. Uh, all of those were from the museum, I think, in Namibia, and and each one had a tag that said so. Yeah, some of that stuff could have been a loan, long term or gifted or whatever. But uh, you're absolutely right. It it uh, those types of collections are. Uh, getting more and more challenging to put together. And uh, at the same time, they're just slipping into the obscurity. And yep. by obscurity, I mean, like, as far as like their use, their actual use, uh, if something is held and maintained and put into really good storage, that's kind of just putting the collection into limbo. It's not as, as uh, uh, you know, kinetic of, a, of an object. So at uh, one of the things back in my museum work uh, for 
15 years at a UT Arlington, we were operating at a level of a publication every 7.1 days that utilized uh, a specimen from the collection. Wow. And so, you know, we got, I got heat from people before by going out and, and collecting vouchers and things, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the museum material is, is just priceless. And having that whenever you can, you know, it's, you're never going to replicate it. So uh, I'm glad you got to see Peter's place. Oh, yeah, it was. That's one of the best places I've ever been to. When, like, when was it that you got out there? Oh, so actually it was before I met anybody here. It was before I met Michael. I first got out there over three years ago now. This, is, this was the not that long before Pritchard died, so I at least got to meet him. And uh, right. that that itself was just an amazing experience. And, like, I just remember walking into his living room, and he's in there, and Sybil's all excited, just greeting, like, getting everybody, like, put together. And uh, Scott Thompson, who I have lots of stories about him, he uh, he just hands me the female – uh, a female Duncan Ensis shell from the Galapagos. And I was just losing my mind over that. I'm like, I've never seen like where, where, where the hell else can I see one of these? Like, and next thing you know, he's getting even, even stuff, even crazier than that. It's just sitting in his living room. It's just, I've never seen anything like that. It's amazing. Well, I'm glad you got to see that, you know, yeah. and, uh, uh, and I understand that uh, turtle conservancy has it now. So hopefully it'll be, uh, utilized as a functioning collection that uh, can contribute more to science. You know, he was frustrated uh, with, uh, he told me that he uh, didn't really care for the judgment from the National Science Foundation and they wouldn't give him funding for his work. And part of the reasons why is because he refused to collect voucher specimens. And uh, I think in a lot of ways that was probably wise on his end, you know, but uh, that was one of the things that he mentioned that he was uh, that that bothered him. Uh, he came and stayed at the house back in 2010 over here, and I went picked him up at the airport, and he's just got this carpet bag. <laughs> That's all it was. It wasn't a suitcase or nothing. It was just this old, like hundred year old carpet bag. It just kind of like popped open and shut, you know, like some old granny purse or something. And then there's Peter. And uh, uh, that's how we traveled around like that. But uh, uh, sorry, I got distracted thinking about the granny purse carpet bag that he would carry. It looked horrible. It was like somebody made it out of a green rug or something. You know? <laughs> I leave, man. I'm, I'm just like so fixed on that memory of that. But uh, uh, no, I got to meet him a long time ago, uh, about 20 years ago, and just blown away by the guy. Uh, I think everybody would have that same measure to say about him. Uh, and Dave Kilpack and I, we drove out. I saw him at a conference. And I'm Carl Franklin. I'm glad you got to meet me. And I'm going to come see you in a couple of weeks. He said, well, Carl, come on out. It would be good to, good to have you. And so I, we we drive up and we see the Rolls Royce in front of the yep. house and we knew we were there. Knocked on the door and Peter was there and I mean it was just amazing. Uh, uh, it, it, and then of course you walk around this this treasure trove home 
that is filled with items from the sack and seizure of Troy or something, you know? Yeah, uh, exactly. That's what it feels like. Oh. Good way to describe it. Yeah, personally, uh, I think... you're having breakfast with him in your whitey tangs, you know? And it's like, this is a really down-to-earth cat. Uh, oh, but uh, uh, great, great experiences going there. And uh, I'm glad you did. Now, Michael, you went there, right? Yeah, I went there in March of 2018. I think right around when Jack went. Or we... I was there March 2018 and you were 2019. I was there February 2019. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of, we were like a year apart, but then we actually, we've been back a few other times since, uh, unfortunately, after Dr. Pritchard passed, but we went once just to go and uh, measure some shells and, and sort of experience it. But also, uh, we went back, I think the most recent one was December of 2020 to help uh, move it to the TC. So that was, um, you know, kind of a sad experience, but really yeah. kind of eye-opening in terms of seeing the amount of things that he collected. But one of the things that, that struck me too, this might go kind of the, to the NSF grant. I think what you're kind of saying is a lot of the stuff that he got was from captive people, people that were keeping them in captivity. Uh, and I just thought that was really a testament to his ability to make, you know, like you said, he was a really compassionate guy, and I think he made connections with everyone. Well, he was obsessed, and and he yeah. told me he said the only way you can have, and I know he's told this to other people, uh, but the only way you can truly have happiness is to be obsessed about something, because if you're obsessed, if you're truly obsessed and absorbed in it, then the only thing that matters to you is that obsession. So you're going to be going after it constantly and any little t stone you turn in your way, you're happy. So yeah. that was his, that was his thing that, uh, that uh, struck me, you know? And so, yeah, he, he had the ability and resources to go out there and, and connect with all these other turtle people. And, and uh, uh, then of course, you know, I'll tell you this about, I heard a story about him that, uh, when he met Archie Carr, his uh, mentor professor, that he pulled up. Have you guys heard this story? He pulls up in front of Archie Carr's house, and he's in a pink convertible Cadillac, and he's got these two chicks with him. And uh, honks the horn. Archie comes out, and he introduced himself as Peter Pritchard, and he said, I'm going to be the world's greatest turtle researcher. <laughs> I might take inspiration this week. So, yeah. Michael's writing this down. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and try that. If you guys wind up going on into grad school or something, just pull up, you know, have a couple of co-eds in with you, honk the horn, and uh, <laughs> create your own legend. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, guys. Hey, as as far as specimen collections go, I think I'm I'm, I'm a little pessimistic about the Lacey Act. I mean, this is this is something that researchers are going to follow. There, but you know, this is not something that captive breeders are necessarily going to follow. And you know, with populations that are you know sinking so quickly, this we need to really expedite the process that we can collect any data about these animals. Especially, you know, uh, Michael just brought up we recently uh, have something an emerging disease called um, turtle fungal disease. And I think Carl, you know a few things about that. Why don't you describe you know, your experiences with turtle fungal disease. 
Oh, tur me, turtle fungal disease. Yeah. I thought you said so. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we've had, uh, I got to tell you, you know, whenever you're as good of a keeper as me, you hardly run into fungal disease. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Honest, yeah. But now, uh, uh, I've had, I've had like, you know, my share of like, uh, the occasional turtle before that had gotten him. And, uh, and it was a lesson learned that uh, basking sites and high enough temperatures to warm up and dry off and everything and proper UVB uh, play a role in preventing that, you know. Uh, additionally, there has been, there are people that are of the camp that uh, keeping plenty of substrate, sand or gravel uh, can help prevent that. Uh, it can. But uh, also having clean filtered water in bare bottomed enclosures uh, can work as well. Either one can work, but you want to have it to where it's clean and you want to have it to where things can get out and bask and uh, uh, have ample temperature to heat up. As far as in the wild goes, I, uh, I can't really say that I've seen anything that's been like a, you know, like a fungal related epidemic or problem. We did have a thing with turtles where we found a pond up here in Fort Worth uh, a few years ago, and it had a lot of turtles that were dying. And so they had some of that skin that was lending itself to maybe a little bit of fungal appearance or something, you know, like sort of the, the pale thickening of the goopy stuff over the eyes or whatnot. But uh, uh, that was a secondary thing. And that bacterial cause was never realized uh but it did happen to a number of places where we do know that captive turtles were released into ponds that uh native turtles lived in i don't even know if i answered your question yeah i think uh i i made yeah i think we're talking about something as uh it might not necessarily be fungal but there's this disease that causes like skews to kind of slough off and it's, in the yellow yeah, mud turtles and yeah kind of sternids i was yeah. At an SSAR, it, at SSAR, there was some, uh, it was a professor from Iowa that was researching it. I thought that it was in Texas, but I was curious, like what the, we were curious what the latest on that was. That might've been I there. What the latest is, but I know what you're talking about. And there yeah. was an algae that was uh, permeating the, uh, the keratin in the scoot. And then it would grow and radiate out underneath the scoot. And that's one of the things that would cause a scoot to fall off. And that was because uh, kind of sternum flavescens, the yellow mud turtle, ecologically, they're not really uh, a full-time aquatic species. And in the wild, they spend a lot of time uh, brumating or estivating uh, while underground. And some of these places are periodic bodies of water. So... Uh, then you have things like stock tanks where they have year-round water for cattle. Well, of course, turtles are going to use that. And that's my limited understanding of what caused that uh, bacilla, whatever uh, species of algae to uh, uh, get inside the, the scoots and contribute to that. I'm not aware of anything else that uh, uh, causes the scoots to fall off. Yeah, it was just kind of an interesting thing but uh that's it i i gotta take this back one second so after hearing that story about uh about peter coming up to archie carr 
the the reason I'm in Georgia is so I'm going. There's a scholarship program at UGA, and uh, you had to apply for it in terms of, and it's just they pick 50 people, and it's got a lot of benefits to it. So I'm going to interview for that. I'm in the final group and I'm interviewing for it. And so my sort of the application was based on my work with turtles. And I'm just curious what you all think if I should use that. I don't know if that might not come across the right way, but after hearing that, I might, I might not need to use that as I, I don't, you know, I, I, I think in terms of the scholarship, it might be the best way to go, but I don't know how everyone feels. <laughs> what do you mean by like do the same thing? <laughs> yeah, do Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pull up with any chicks but just in terms of at the end well, why I not that tagline i i not i'm not necessarily like implying that just in terms of trying to impress the, the people that i'm i'm sitting in the panel in front of and if you pulled up in a convertible if you pull up in a hoverboard <laughs> and you got you a few fine things with you and uh just have them hold you know fourth of july sparklers or something while you come rolling up uh you know regardless if they accept you they ain't never going to forget you, son. <laughs> That's yeah. a good point. I don't know if I'm going to be able in the next two days to pull that off, but we'll see. <laughs> well, You'll go down in history as a legend if you do that. <laughs> Put out like a Craigslist ad and just get like the, the lowest of low, you know? You need two women. <laughs> I got $50. Come help me get this uh, scholarship money. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's no. That's too much. Well, oh, the fact yeah. that Peter did that, that's just, I just think that's so cool and badass, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be cool. awesome for somebody to be that's a part of the program and, and uh, do it that way. <laughs> I was curious about some of your experience with the rough footed mud turtles in Texas. I know there's a little kind of disjunct, maybe not even disjunct, just kind of small population. And yeah, that's pretty much all it is. It's in one county, and there's half dozen or so bodies of water that have them, and uh, uh, you know fewer than 300 or so, I believe. And uh, we're looking at the most endangered species of turtle in North America, uh, and they're the way the state is managing it, and the railroad commission, because the railroad commission holds a lot of power in the state, and. Uh, some of these uh, locations where the turtles are at are on their property. So they're uh, taking an active approach by being very passive and wanting to maintain what the ecological system is there for them. So right now, I wish that they would have a, uh, uh, you know, an XC2 group or something. I think that would be warranted. Uh, it'd be, it'd be cool to see that happen, but they're not even wanting to entertain that. So that's all I have to say about uh, that. Aside from uh, uh, any disappointment from lack of XC2 work with them, uh, there are people that are actively monitoring the, the populations there. So at least there's that comfort. Those, uh, those turtles, do they look any different from the uh, more continental populations? Uh, not too much, you know, I mean, uh, there's, uh, I mean, you got other things too. If you look at like Flavescens versus Sonoran mud turtles and, 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 uh, rough footed, uh, 
yeah, they all have their own look to them, but nothing that really, in my opinion, jumps out uh, as far as different from any continental. You do have to realize that they do occur in Mexico, and there's populations I know of in uh, Durango, uh, but not the same subspecies. So the Murray are unique to uh, that we have here in Texas are unique to Texas. So they're their own thing. There's a good deal of subspecies too. There's one, the Viesca one is extinct even, right? That's, and uh, that's what I understand, but I, I haven't done enough homework for this podcast to talk about that. One. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I was looking, I've looked through that and it seems a little bit suspicious. It was one locality, but I guess, I, I think John Iverson worked on it. So genetic, genetically, maybe there was some data there. And, but it, it's like the, uh, the variation though in rough foots is is pretty incredible like some of the the patsquara ones the uh i think it's magdalense terrasensi and uh, yeah because like in patsquara yeah. you got some high altitude kind of stern there too you know so, yeah exactly and there's also a place where there's a bunch of nuns in in patsquara michoacan i think and and uh they raise uh uh i think it's ambistoma dumarilla Huh. That's the right species. These big ambistoma salamanders, and they raise them like axolotls, and then they even make uh, uh, salamander wine. Uh, and, and I remember the guys came back from there. The nuns would not let anybody to photograph anything because they wanted you to have photographs that they sold at the gift shop, at the postcards. So these nuns were breeding all these captive indigenous salamanders to Mexico, endemic salamanders to Mexico, uh, there in Patsquaro. I think it was in Patsquaro, yeah. Sorry to jump topics from turtles to salamanders, but I'm a sucker for nuns. No, it's all good. We we <laughs> like we focus on turtles, but we like everything. You know, just the stories aspect is something that in biology is at least effective to get people interested, I think, so. Just it can be, you know. There's, there's, there's plenty of people in the business that are sticks in the mud, so to speak. But uh, by and large, most people are kind of aligned with uh, what they like to do. So, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I was also curious. So I, I knew that you'd done a lot of work, sort of in Central America, and South America. But I saw, uh, looking at the Texas turtle page. <laughs> Is someone? Oh, is that, uh, that uh, you've also done some work in Indonesia? I I don't I haven't heard any of those stories. I'm curious, like oh, what was man. that for? The story was I was glad to come home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the situation with uh, the so this was work that uh, uh, I did with an old colleague of mine, Eric Smith, and uh, he started going to Sumatra. He went to Sumatra back in '96. And there on the west coast of Sumatra, he was finding a new species of reptile or amphibian at a rate of one every six hours. And uh, so there was, you know, this ecological, biological hotspot hot place. And 20 years later, you fast forward, and the population of Java had grown so much that the government gave incentives for people to move and settle Sumatra. So... We got there, and the west coast of Sumatra is just devastated. And uh, Java is, is mostly devastated ecologically. And uh, we worked really hard. But I think that those trips wound up, I think, 
total Eric and his crew and stuff, including the ones we got on the trip I was uh, with. And that was two months out there. Uh, I think it was at least 400 new species discovered. And uh, they're still describing material from that, from what I understand. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a huge pain in the butt, man. And what uh, the scientists go through to get to have to do their work and stuff is just total bullshit. Uh, the pet trade stuff goes through and picks up all this easy to get to, you know, material, <clears throat> a lot of lowland elevation stuff, you know, they rely on. And uh, uh, here's the story. So this is old boy in Indonesia that he's the biggest exporter out there. And uh, I've never met him. I heard he's okay fella. Uh, but there's a guy who's a herpetologist there in Java, and he's a good fella. I know him. He was dying of malaria, and the only person that came and saved his life was <coughs> this fella who is a commercial exporter. And he brought and 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 he had a rare type of malaria that's fatal in 72 to you know 96 hours or whatever, and so he got his life saved. You think he's going to slow down that guy's permit? Nah. <laughs> but whatever you know that the way that the university systems work, where a researcher gets a grant, the university takes a huge amount off of that, and then that researcher's left with that amount, and they want to do collaborations in this other country, they got to get every single nerd on the same page. And uh, you got people that are already going, hey, man, why don't you give me those per diems up front? And so then there's a whole government system set up over there to shake down the scientists and charge them a bunch of money for every little movement and operation. And, you know, commercial guys don't get faced with any of that. So that turned me off about the Indonesia stuff. I will say this, though. A lot of folks, uh, not a lot, I had one or two that said, hey, Carl, you know, you go into the biggest Muslim nation in the country. And I got to tell you, in Sumatra, uh, I was really, really touched at how kind the people were there. Uh, I, it, just, just wonderful folks. And so I can say that about uh, most, about 99% of the Sumatrans that I've read into were uh, really cool. And that was, that was nice. So, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. We went out there, we collected uh, specimens did our job and, and Eric is still involved with that, with that hard work out there, because, uh, that's the other thing is a lot of people don't realize that some of these folks in academics that devote their time and energy to this stuff, they've got this much that they have to do in the field, which is beyond what most normal humans can possibly do. Yeah. And then they have this much they have to do that's dem diplomatic. Yes. And then you got this much that's, you know, uh, paying the university basically to let you uh, have the lights on to do what you do. But uh, all in all, it's also interesting because he and I were talking about it one time. And I said, you have to hate it. He said, yeah, but I, I, I feel like, you know, if I don't do it, there's ain't, there ain't nobody else that will. And so that's something else to think about. Every time you do your, your stuff, anytime you look at what you're doing and you're wondering, why the hell am I doing this? It ain't giving me any extra money uh, or tangible merit or value. 
if it's something that you truly love doing and stuff, you're going to do it. And uh, then later on, you're going to wind up seeing things that you did, benefits that you didn't exactly recognize from back then. But uh, so that's Indonesia and seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's got to be frustrating, especially there, all those big reptile dealers. A lot of them seem to be kind of in the drug trade too, and, and just they bring in a lot of money. So, in terms of how they're integrated with the government, I didn't see any evidence of uh, drug scene stuff whenever I was there. You know, I mean, there was, I'm sure you could run into stuff in like the major cities, but uh, they've got like a really harsh penalty system for an intolerance for uh, drugs. Sometimes it was a challenge just to find beer. So, Oh, geez. Uh, it was, uh, but no, I, I, that, that was some of the stuff with, uh, with Indonesia and, uh, uh, that part of the world, it's just really, 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 really overpopulated, you know, uh, they don't, they don't give away enough rubbers over there. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, the wildlife trade itself is lucrative, lucrative enough that, the governments can benefit from that in maybe under under the underground sort of that's uh frustrating especially as an academic trying to go in there and do good work and then you just see that kind you, know, you go to these places and they might have all these different government things that are quirky or whatnot and stuff but at the end of the day as long as you know you're going to be able to get back to that airport and get on that jet and head back home uh you know it's it's okay uh what i liked about all the places that i went to was being able to see the different animals that was one thing that's a constant uh coming back you know you get some of these uh stories <laughs> but uh uh oh well that's life yeah no that's uh, uh we're curious sort of also we talk about turtles a lot, but in terms of snakes, we haven't really brought that into this show much, but I, I, I imagine you've got some interesting snake stories. If there's one that kind of stands out. Well, I'll tell you, I was, uh, I was kind of a know-it-all and I was rushed at work one day to finish an exhibit. And, uh, it was for a, a Western diamondback rattlesnake. And I, I got through it, no problem, did it. And in fact, did it early. Next day I came to work and I went out, I got into the building and right behind the exhibit was a trash can with a center block on top. And the, the card for the Atrox, the Western Diamondback was sitting there. And Ardell Mitchell, who's running uh, Dallas Zoo Herp at the time said, come here. And what had happened is that in my haste, I didn't fasten the screws on the, the, the nuts out of the screws on top of the exhibit. And the snake pushed its way out and crawled along a rack of cages in the back. And when the night keeper opened the door, the snake was right at his head and uh, rattling and everything. So it scared the hell out of him. But I tell you what, it, 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 that was a wake up call for me. And, uh, so after that, I just kind of got, uh, I, I just wanted to be really careful. And I've been really fortunate. I've worked uh, for years with a lot of different venomous reptiles. Uh, that was like my biggest oops 
right there. And I didn't want to have another one. Uh, but uh, now it's funny. I always took pride in uh, uh, not getting bit or anything like that. And I still do. <laughs> and then uh, we wound up doing some work with Coyote Peterson. And so I was like, man, what in the world, you know? And uh, uh, I didn't get it, what he was doing. I never even saw a show or anything. I just kind of saw the YouTube blast for the guy. And uh, But I got to tell you, I think that what he does is really neat. And I know it's kind of a jump from what we're talking about with snake stuff. But uh, I got a snake story. Okay. So I was, uh, I got up one morning and uh, I was in Peru and being this old boy, we walked down this path in the forest and uh, uh, there's a little bitty creek. I was talking like a little tiny stream that meandered through the, the rainforest and uh, right in front of me, I see this big anaconda stretched out and uh, its head was way over there. And I, uh, I told my buddy, I said, you stay right here next to me. I'm going to grab the body and just run with it. And uh, <laughs> what happened was that I crawled over to get the body, and it turned around and parked its head right in front of my face. And uh, so I just grabbed him, <laughs> and my buddy grabbed the tail end of it, and we were going to take it back to camp and look at it, photograph it, stuff, release it. But uh, on the way over there, it just starts unloading. And it's just shooting uh, these big, giant turd missiles. Boom, 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 boom. Big, giant pores of urates splashing all over it. And, and uh, uh, you know, the white, chunky stuff. Then the musk is, like, shooting and streams on it, man, and it's his back and we get back there and the end I was holding was doing this okay but what he had was covering it and he had to throw his clothes away he couldn't get the stink out uh, he Jeez. spent most of the day after that traumatized and uh, taking laundry detergent and a brush trying to get himself to not reek so, <laughs> so if, you, if you grab a, a wild a big it was 13 and a half foot so it's a good sized snake but you grab one like that, let your buddy grab the tail in. <laughs> that's, yeah, a, that's a good piece of advice. That's the best piece of advice. Yeah, that's, that's a good piece. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, have you noticed the mesoclemmies that you keep or kept? Do they musk? I've heard that they have. It's similar to like I haven't had. I haven't noticed. Well, with babies, a little bit, you know, uh, but not. You know, once again, when you're as good as me, you're not going to stress in turtles, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, 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 I've noticed that with the, the babies a little bit, but not as much as like, you know, a wild musk turtle or something. Yeah, so I, I guess we can start sort of wrapping up. I'm in terms of questions. I've got one more. I don't know about anyone else. Question wise. Fire away. I mean, I've got, I've got sort of a question. I remember something you told me at TSA really stuck with me. Um, Cause a lot of people, like when you talk about working with Coyote Peterson, a lot of people are pretty quick to judge and some stuff in the past has been questionable, but 
I, you just said, you know, I'm going to like a lot of people were kind of questioning, okay, why would you like work with someone like that? But what you said is, you know, I have the opportunity to make a positive impact on his, his viewers and people that. Yeah, you know, man, you got, yeah. You're, yeah. I remember t us talking about that because that was yeah. just uh, about a month or so after we did the, the first thing with him that wound up going on animal planet and the whole focus was alligator snappers from here in Texas. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I kind of like those turtles here. But uh, our second thing we did with him was a year later, and it also was about ASTs from uh, uh, Texas. And, uh, you know, we discussed it before doing it, uh, Viviana and I did, and we just thought, well, let's say if every turtle nerd in the world uh, rejected us, that's only like, what, 300 people? And, uh, you know, yeah. the way is uh, we could get, like, exposure to 10 million kids because that's the uh, his, his target audience are kids 8 to 10 years old. And uh, I, I just thought it was really, really cool to be able to present to uh, people of that audience and, and uh, that many. So why not? And he's a good guy to work with. We we said, you know, if this guy's a, if this guy's nuts, then uh, we'll just leave. But uh, no, he and Mario, they're really really cool, and uh, I, I like the product they put out, and uh, I like that we were able to get a lot of hits on the the video from ASTs here in Texas. I was gonna ask, uh, kind of ties back to the ASTs. How long have you been like trapping them? Work, work. Oh, man. So formerly trapping them, I started helping out the guys down in Houston back in uh, 2016 or so. Uh, I got involved with one of the things is that, uh, that I like about ASTs is that I don't have to travel to another country to do it. And uh, uh, that's partly why I, I didn't do it until, uh, say, like in the last six years uh, because I was so busy doing these other projects and all. But uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 really cool. I just want to keep doing more, and we've been able to do quite a bit. Uh, and social media has helped us out a lot. There's folks that are interested in the turtles, and uh, we've had some good uh, partnerships with landowners and uh, other people that are interested in sharing data. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a good flagship species to study here in Texas. Uh, there's not a lot that's been done. We've got ourselves, there's TSA, Stephen F. Austin uh, University, uh, University of Houston Clear Lake, uh, some folks that are up in the, the Red River area, but uh, uh, that's all fairly recent. So it's a lot of good, low-hanging scientific fruit to uh, look into. Yeah. Uh, we got a plug away that it took me this long to really appreciate uh, having them close to here uh we've got a study site that's about five or six miles from where i'm at right now so awesome. you've got to plug the texas turtle social media it's i think instagram wise one of the best if not the most informative yeah i i remember the the one post that i remember the most was a while back it was the the pitting on the posterior carapace of the box turtles i just thought that was fascinating the the mechanism behind that i guess the, oh as far as the bones rubbing from the yeah inside. 
Well, yeah, there's been a, a handful of people that have said, yeah, why would they have such a thing? But then, you know, that's as dumb as asking, why would uh, mammals have arthritis, you know, and or, or something along those lines? It, it is interesting that it doesn't happen with every single turtle, but we've seen it in soft-shell turtles. We've seen it in musk turtles, of course, tortoises and box turtles. Uh, I think even in sliders, we've seen some shells that had it. So, uh, but it, it, it's also just, uh, it could be also maybe like wisdom teeth or something for the turtles. Wisdom holes. <laughs> I, I got into a discussion with someone a long time ago about it, and they thought some crazy, it only hybrid Gulf Coast and Eastern box turtles got it, and that it was the, the shell was thinner, and I, I just, I wasn't buying that. So when you finally put that out there, it kind of made sense that it was. Yeah, uh, and, and we ran into it with uh, some uh, anthropology nerds who found <laughs> uh, some turtle shells, and they're like, oh, that had to be drilled. That was ceremonial or something like uh nah it was just the old hip bones wearing yeah and it can happen up in the shoulders too so you can get that scapular wear and tear also that happens up on the top yeah i found that particularly interesting that for whatever sick. reason yeah but check out the the texas turtles instagram that's where it's at um all right i mean I'm pretty good to go. I don't know. I can't speak for everyone else, but we gotta. We do ready have to, trivia, you know, trivia head to head, uh, toe to toe, ready to get now, this. Now that, yeah, this one's gonna be, I think, our toughest one yet. So Dude. we're up for. We gotta really get our our uh, turtles on here. But I guess I can explain how this works. Um, and it's pretty loose, so we've changed this a lot. But we essentially give two minutes. We'll start at the timer when, we're, when I'm done explaining, but we've got, we generate five questions each and uh, we initially were doing it with like a spinner, but now we're doing guest versus the host. And uh, I, you know, I, I would ask if you wanted to do this, but I figured that you're game for this one. So. Yes, sir. All right, let's go. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'll get the timer going and we got to get, we got some music. So Michael, we got to, you, me, Ken, and Jason got to come up with our questions. And how many questions are we doing uh, this round, Michael? We're gonna do four or five. Like, uh, realistically, I don't. Uh, let's shoot for five. Shoot for five. Sorry. All right. I got to get our music going on here. All right, I'm gonna start coming up with them. There we go. Hmm. Good thinking music. All right, Ken, you got to generate something here. This better be you. This is going to be. And I guess the rules for the question is they can't, they have to be turtle related. And, but don't go easy. I might regret saying that for all parties. I think we're all going to regret saying that, but let's see. Ooh, I'm having trouble here. 
basis. Yeah. I guess we'll get one more minute going here because I'm not. Ah, that's a good, okay, Ken's got that's a good, good one. one. I got a, I got a couple. I got I got some. All right, I got two. We we all contribute so on a group chat here. I, so we're there. You go. That's a great question. Okay, so we got Jason. We got four. You, you got to get us a class. We need some. Oh, we got Jason. four now. I could come up with another one, but I'm trying to think. Jason, if you got something. All right, I put it in the chat. Hopefully, it uh, it doesn't disappoint. Okay, yeah, I think that's too easy. All right, I like these. I guess we'll all read our own questions to each other too. So that sounds good. And if Michael and I suddenly become underwater, clearly it sounds like there's like a giant soft shell trying to swim out of it. It's very disturbing. <laughs> We're in a in a hotel room and the toilet's been for like the past hour. It's been making noises. The toilet's made noises for the past hour. Yep. Alrighty. Boys, ready? All right. Uh, so the get up to the guest. Would you like to go first or receive first? <laughs> and I I ask you guys a question. Yeah, we. I think we'll go. Uh, we'll trade off. Oh, golly. Okay, so what level of uh, turbo questioning are we going at here? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, here the, the goal is to teach the viewers something. So, uh, oh, but, you know, realistically, if it's something that, yeah, I mean, it's You guys go first. I'll try. I'll throw myself at your mercy. Go right ahead. That, I think that's fair. All right. So you, are we going in order here? Yeah, Michael, you could go first. All right. So my first question is, what is unique about Nota Kelly's vertebral skews? Huh. Well, I guess they're flat. I haven't messed with them. I'm just thinking of uh, possibly the, the namesake of the turtle. Not the so the thing that I've seen is they've got a sixth as opposed to five. They've got a small one between I guess the fourth and sixth. There's like a smaller reduced one. 
So it's kind of, that's just a random, that, that was kind of a, that was a little bit maybe challenging, but uh, yeah, that's something that's really kind of weird information. But are they flat? Yeah. I mean, they are pretty flat. So that, okay. so you can add flat as well. <laughs> All right. I, I, I think we give, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, that technically, that technically qualifies. <laughs> I guess it qualifies. There you go. Yeah. That's a point. <laughs> Although here, here's the thing. I'm not sure it's unique because we've got other turtle that have flat. I can't uh, think of another one. There's only one Noto Kelly's, my friend. <laughs> all right, all right. That's fair. That's one point. All right. Not that can we're you, keeping points. We're just. Can doing. you okay. want to read yours next, and then I'll read mine? And like okay, I said, I think I, might, I think I might have just unleashed or, something or that's going to be hard to deal with. <laughs> Oh, are we get? It's Carl's turn. If you. Oh, it's my turn. I gotta think of a question. Jeez, I mean, I you had that. two minutes. So. <laughs> uh, here's a trivial one. Herpetologist Bill Lamar, oh god, in Peru, <laughs> happened to catch a mana mana turtle using this method oh. and how did it happen I, I it happened. i've got an idea but this oh man <laughs> um yeah no I'm well okay i'll you, tell you guys he was fishing <laughs> and he had the hook there in the water and the matamata stepped on it and he caught oh, one man. by it standing up on the foot on the hook there. Ouch. <laughs> Interesting. All right. All right. Is that y'all's turn now? All right. Yeah. All right. This line is pretty good. What is the name of the Galapagos tortoise? The species is Kelanoides hudensis. What is the name of this turtle who is famously known for having so much sex that he saved his own species? Well, hold on a second here. Uh-oh. Okay. I think. <laughs> Uh-oh. Should we be concerned? <laughs> uh, let's see what it says here. All right. That's fair. That's fair. He's, he's got the. Hold up. Hold up. If I was at home, I'd grab mine. He's but... got the, the manifesto. I got I got the same book I I could hit you with too, man. This is like the uh, ask the professional on uh, wheel of or not wheel of fortune. What (laughs) it's a million whatever whatever the heck it is. One of those game shows. I have most of those major Galapagos tortoise books. That's and then oh wait I think I got something else. Do you have a Lonesome George uh, patch? No, I do not. That's awesome. Is okay. that a problem? Uh, hold on here. Where's it? I think I got something else. <laughs> That's crazy. Do you happen to perchance possess a Lonesome George uh, stained glass? <laughs> No, but like, I got something I need to find. Oh, hold on, maybe maybe I got something you got. Hold still. It's in the dryer. I got I got a D. I got a 
I got a Diego shirt, but I need to find that. So who's going to win this uh, show and tell battle? Cinco Mil Sucres. The currency featuring the one and only Solitario Jorge. (laughs) I got all that, boys. Bring it on. Let's go. All right. All right. I mean, I got like Vandenberg's book and Pritchard's books and all that, but I don't got the... I think he's got you beat, Jack. Yeah, he's got... Is the Lonesome George patch actually from Ecuador? Was it? Yeah, where else do they make them, man? Yeah, this I mean, that... official. <laughs> right that's, that's awesome. Well, yeah. That's sweet. Little stuff like that just makes it so fun. Like, people that don't understand are upset. Right. Who's got another question? All I right, we've got to go next one. Uh, was it? Well, it's your, uh, it's your turn, Carl. So. Oh, jeez. Uh, that's the thing I guess I've just been involved with so much useless turtle stuff it's hard for me to think of a, a question because it's, it could just be everything is useless uh, which state in the United States holds the highest diversity of turtle species oh this is a good one. Oh yeah Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Are we saying this? Who, who else knows this one? I'm pretty sure I know it. Yeah, I think we, we're on the same page. Ken, do you know? Maybe. <laughs> Go ahead, Jack, if you've got it. All right, wait. Well. On three. On three. We've all – Ken's got it, too. Watch us all say a different state. <laughs> I'll, I'll say a different state. <laughs> Alaska. <laughs> Hawaii. Uh, Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> Alabama, yeah. <laughs> Alabama slamma. There you go. Yes. That's All right. Good. Y'all's turn. Can I read my question? Go yeah, ahead. go to your question. My question is way – my question is too, too off base. <laughs> i got to come up with something else. <laughs> Michael's pulling out these God-level questions. Uh, yeah. All right, so uh, say in what – I think it's yeah. What Gulf Coast drainages can you find three species of Sternotherus living sympatrically? This is a tough question for anybody. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's, it's the Pascagoula and the Pearl, the in, in Mississippi and right on. But if I, 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 I I've know. never been there. I'd like to someday. Yeah, you know? that's that's a question that like that that's like a Grover kind of thing. That's a Grover <laughs> question right there. Yeah, he's it's uh it's Carinatus, Peltifer, and Odoratus. You can find them all in the same area. Grover and Dick Vote might be the only people that would know that. That's such yeah, a weird. Thanks. <laughs> but all right, Carl, your go. Uh. Think here. I didn't think to prepare for any questions. Ah, due to their microbial content in their gut, this freshwater species of turtle, native to the Western Hemisphere, was said by Dick Vogt to be able to subsist possibly on a diet entirely of newspaper. 
Name that species. <laughs> oh, I, okay. I've got an idea. Let's see. I'm much. Are you an idea man or are you an answer man? Let's go. I'm going to throw this into the water. Is it Dermatomies? That's right. And uh, 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 yeah, that's that. That was his uh, idea that uh, due to their cellulose, their ability to break down cellulose, uh, uh, that they could potentially survive on a diet of newspaper. <laughs> they would actually try that because that 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 would be it'd be insane if they could. I'm not aware of them trying it, but I know that whenever they did the uh, orientation studies of the hatchlings. From the nest to the water, uh, they actually made little tiny blindfolds to put over the turtle's eyes, so they could see. I'd be they... worried about some of the other nutrients that would might be lacking there. <laughs> but yeah. you got you know, whatever you got... they treat newspaper with. There you go. Don't don't do that at home if you have if you have uh... <laughs> if you have dermatomies. Like you don't have dermatomies. Uh, there we you, you that is a concern. Um, okay, so now it's Argo. I, J, this was Jason's. Uh, what's the genus and species name of the Spanish pond turtle? If you listen to our first uh, episode of the Colonia cast. Move along. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. So... Was that it? You said Leprosa, right? Huh? You said uh, Marimi's Leprosa, right? Well, I, 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 <laughs> the only thing that ever came to my mind for that area, but uh, uh, oh well, I haven't spent any time out there. But I have heard that Spain is an excellent location for sangria and chorizo. That's it. <laughs> we got. I've I've had kind of bad run-ins with food. I feel like uh, <laughs> foreign places. Remember when you I feel were? Like uh, no one has a good experience. You, I, I don't you know. Becoming megacephalic two years ago. I did become megacephalic. There's just some. Stop, uh, oh, stop chewing on all those freaking curricula. I, I had a jaw. They had to take out my jaw and replace it with my fibula, and it swelled up about the size of a watermelon. And I was, I was actually making second. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Fit right in it, Cobo. <laughs> All right, Carl. Hey, you, got you got one more question to make it even. Oh, it's my turn now. Or no, you guys. Uh, I. The question. Yeah, yeah, you ask us. I thought I just did. Oh, wait, no, 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 you're right. The the, the Marmies one, okay. Uh, let's see here. Oh, boy. Um, how many cervical vertebrae do turtles have? And what part of the body is... Our cervical vertebrae found in. No, I tell you what, that's too tough. No, I, or I was, I was, I was, was it eight? It's eight in the back, I think. No, no, it's the cervical And uh, I'll tell you that. How about this one instead? I don't want to hurt y'all with my questions. 
No, Unleash. Paradires uh, and uh, Cryptodires. What is the difference with the pelvic girdles? They're fused in one's fused, yeah. fused. Which yeah. one? Flare dyers. Flare dyers. And both okay. of both the pelvic and the what's the other one? The shoulder girdles, I guess. Well, the pelvic girdles for yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So good job on that one. You guys are officially useless. That's a good way to add. Change my oil. It won't be any of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good way to end that. We have fun with it, but yeah, realistically, that doesn't really come in handy anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Barely here. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> oh my god. Well, this is awesome. This was a fun discussion, and and uh, as always, it's awesome. It's fun. To, it's been a while. I, we gotta at some point, maybe this summer, we'll all get down to Texas and go look. I for need some to get out to Texas. Something. I've only been there when I was coming back from California. I stopped at the airport. That's about it. I'm trying to I'm trying to get That's out. Awesome. That's great. Everything's bigger in Texas. I like Texas. It's where I keep all my stuff. <laughs> there you go. That's it. All right. Well, thanks for coming thanks for on. Thanks for coming on. on. Yeah. Hey, boys. Thanks for having me. And uh, you guys keep on doing what you're doing. No problem. This this is one of the most fun interviews yet. This was this was awesome getting to talk to you. <laughs> Hearing your stories was something else. Yeah. Well, I'm glad y'all liked it. Uh, maybe a couple other people might too. <laughs> All right. Well, that. Jeez. Okay. Well, that was, that was awesome. I'm going to end up now. Make sure to check us out on whatever social media we're on. And uh, thanks for coming on today, Carl. You can find uh, Carl's written some books on box turtles and turtles. Some of the best out there. And in, in my opinion, I think everyone on here. So make sure to find those uh, online. If you want to plug the names of those, I guess. You know what? i tell you what, ladies and gentlemen out there. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary attendees, all of you, <laughs> feel free to come check out Texas Turtles on Texas Turtles Facebook, Texas Turtles Instagram, Texas Turtles Twitter, and, of course, TexasTurtles.com, where you can get some of this cool merch that Michael and I have been sporting all night long tonight. So thank everybody for your support, and uh, Texas Turtles. Hashtag yeah, Texas turtles. Texas and you, turtles. you can't wear it with sleeves. That's not. It's not acceptable. You've got to cut the sleeves off, or they just fall off when you put them on. It's just yeah, they just fall off. All right. Thanks for joining, everybody. <laughs>